Welcome back. Third hour, Raider Nation Radio Morning Tailgate. Clay Baker, Vinny Bonds, and your Heidi Fang all with you. Thank you for being with us as we got a lot to get into into this third hour. We'll talk with Sam Gordon, columnist and reporter with the Las Vegas Review Journal, as well as we'll give you that chance at 940 to win those tickets to see Kevin Hart live on New Year's Eve at Resorts World. I'll have your tickets available. Be color number nine at 940, and we will hook you up here on the morning tailgate. 69187 is the Dollar Loan Center Don't Be Broke text line. Use the keyword RNR and on Twitter, RNR 920 AM. Vinny, Clay, and Heidi here on RNR 920. And now it's time for Sam Gordon, the columnist and enterprise reporter with the Las Vegas Review Journal. Follow him on Twitter at BySamGordon. Sam, thank you for joining us. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, y'all. Happy Wednesday, right? Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, and uh, you know what? Let's let's start out with this. I mean, it, you know, it's it, it's crazy that you you have the improbable ending for the Raiders on Sunday uh, over at Allegiant Stadium against the Patriots. I mean, what was going through your mind when you saw that play happen? Because it was so unbelichick like and such an improbable ending. Um, yeah, Clay. It, it, I felt like it was befitting for the kind of, of game it was. Right? It was a it was a ugly, messy, sloppy game uh, in a lot of ways, right? The Raiders certainly didn't bring their best. 13 penalties for, I mean, almost 100 yards, right? I mean, that was as many penalties as the team has had in a single game. This season, uh, the offense, I think, on both sides was sloppy at times. The Raiders dealing with some injuries across the front. I think that may have, may have had an effect on the way that they called the game. But nonetheless, in the second half, they got absolutely nothing going. And it was the same story for the Patriots. So it was blocked punch. It was a defensive touchdown. It was a pick six. It was a 50-50 questionable call that clearly I would think as, as we've seen more went in the Raiders' favor. And then it was, I guess, kind of, again, befitting uh, that a game with so many ups and downs, a lot of lows, and then crazy swings at the end would end in such a dramatic fashion. Now, that it would end with a lateral pitchback that was picked off and brought back by Taylor Jones. Like, I don't think anybody saw that coming or seen anything like that before. I think it was kind of a state of disbelief across the press box and then across the, the stadium. Um, in general, but a, certainly what I perceive is a sense of uh, euphoria for the Raider fans that have endured so many, I think, heartbreaking losses uh, this season and been on the wrong side of, of losses like that a lot of times uh, throughout the fanhood. So every day, I think, will go down as like a singular historic uh, NFL moment play in, in the sense that that was the first time we had ever seen a team uh, win like that and then conversely ever seen a team lose uh, in such devastating fashion. So it's twofold depending on on who you follow, and for Raider fans, certainly one of the most exciting moments in recent memory. Yeah, and and the fact that it you know uh, set the stage for the Raiders to go to Pittsburgh, uh, the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, um, you know all the ceremonies, all the all the historical significance of it. Um, Franco Harris, you know, scheduled to get his number retired on Saturday uh, in, in Pittsburgh, and then to wake up to the news today, Sam, uh, the dreaded news uh, that Franco Harris passed away um you know uh i think it was this morning i haven't you know got a, a an exact timeline uh, on it but you know wow uh for you know just shocked into the reality of life sometimes where you know all the plans how the game ended last week what it was setting up to be saturday in pittsburgh and then wake up to this terrible news yeah, then just, um, I guess, devastating timing and just, you know, heart and thoughts and condolences to Franco Harris, his family, the Pittsburgh Steelers family, and of course the NFL family at large, Raiders family as well. Um, the, Franco Harris, I mean, back to the reception, that's one of the first things I, I feel like I learned about football uh, as a kid growing up. I mean, the most iconic play uh, in NFL history, and then of course, 
uh, set the scene for, for the, 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 the rivalry between these two teams, right? I think the two kind of preeminent, I guess you could throw the Miami Dolphins in there when we're talking about the 70s. But look, the, the barometer, really the gold standard franchises of that time, and obviously Franco Harris being the great running back to the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, at the epicenter of that rivalry in so many of those games and, and, and the iconic moments, of course, being the immaculate um, reception. So the, the, the timing in is just, it's just eerie, uh, very sad. Um, it, just, it, it puts everything into perspective. You know that, that the game is, is special for the stories and for the moments and for the plays and for the legacies and stuff like that. And that's what we are chronicling as journalists in real time and, and, when, we're, and when we are watching as spectators and the fans um, participate in and have a hand in the real time. So it's just a reminder to appreciate um, all these things while we have them. And, and again, the timing, um, you can't, it's just, it's just, I guess, unbelievable. It really kind of leaves these pieces in, in, in between the, 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 the crazy ending and then, you know, the 50th anniversary, uh, it just leaves these kind of pieces. So again, condolences and thoughts with the NFL family, the Steelers family, the Raiders family, um, and, and football fans at large. Follow Sam on Twitter at by Sam Gordon here on the morning tailgate with Clay and Vinny. When you see how the uh, you know last year when you wrote that story about the Raiders who were still present uh, for the immaculate reception, uh, it was it was funny that you know how personal everything got between the players. You know, forty nine years later, now it's fifty years later. Fourteen Hall of Famers were on the field at the same time, but for the Raiders that were there, how personal did it get after all these years when you started to interview them? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's still something. I mean it's they 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 know they understand the, the, the rivalry. They but they felt the rivalry. They were the ones that that really got the rivalry going, and we're on the for the Raiders players right the losing end of of the most famous uh, play in NFL history. Right, you obviously much rather be on the winning end of that. So yeah, there still uh, is uh, a competitiveness there, but it's, it's I think it's turned into uh, you know it's obviously this point like a respectful competitiveness, and that's it's one thing that. You know, those guys that I talked to wanted to make clear that it was that rivalry was rooted in respect because those were the two toughest teams in the league. And, and at that time, of course, the game is different now. Uh, it requires different elements of toughness. But at that time, based on the rules and whatnot, this, it was a more physical and more violent game. And, it, you know, it, those two teams would do everything uh, within the boundaries and sometimes exceed the boundaries to, 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 to win uh, at that point in time and, and have players that really set a physical um, dynamic tone, as you mentioned, played with the 14 Hall of Famers uh, that participated in that. So that rivalry still runs on, and, and those um, rivalries and, and those games still, I think, will carry the same significance. I think for, for former Raiders and former Steelers who participated in some of those games uh, on uh, in the 70s and at that time and in the 80s, that, that's, like, of course, when the rivalry was at its most intense. But uh, I think this game on Saturday, even if it wasn't the 50th anniversary, it, would still, it still means a lot just because of what those two respective franchises went through at what I think was really a formative time uh, in the NFL. So, again, it's two of the most iconic franchises in NFL history, two franchises with a lot of tradition, uh, and that are in a little different places right now in 2022. So the game is still going to obviously carry a lot of weight. Both teams technically still alive uh, in the playoff chase and and have a lot of reason, um, a lot to play for on Saturday. So we'll see how it shakes out, but definitely still – uh, a lot of intensity, um, respectful intensity rooted in that rivalry. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I was going to, uh, you know, spin back to that uh, direction amid everything uh, that, that's going on. The Raiders have to play a football game, as do the Steelers. 
uh, heavy hearts um, and all. Uh, but this is a big game, uh, Sam. You know, it's a two six and eight teams that still have uh, playoff hopes and, and legitimate playoff aspirations. Uh, but it's basically a knockout game. Uh, one team's going to move on. The other team's going to start looking at next year. And oh, by the way. Don't look now, but the Raiders are four and one over their last five games. Uh, probably should be five and zero oh, uh, right now. Uh, where do you stand on where the Raiders stand right now going into this huge game in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I feel like it's a it's like one of these fifty fifty matchups, right? Vinny? I mean, it's going to be cold. Uh, it's going to be nasty. The the, the the weather it might be inclement in play uh, is factor, but the Raiders at times this year have been looked like they've been suited to play that kind of football. I think they're at their best uh, when they can ground and pound behind Josh Jacobs, look and play action, get Devontae Adams. And who knows, perhaps Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro involved uh, this week behind him. Uh, but, of course, we, we have to see how the offensive line looks uh, with the, what the Raiders are going through uh, on that side of the ball. I think defensively the Raiders uh, are coming off of a couple of their better outings uh, of the season, save for that, uh, that, that final drive, I guess that final fourth quarter uh, in Los Angeles against the Rams. They've been pretty stout on that end, and even going back to the Chargers, uh, the Chargers game as well. They've, they've played about as well as they have in any stretch this year, they're going to go up against the Pittsburgh offense, and I think it's been really hit or miss, uh, too. Uh, it seems like a revolving door quarterback. You get Kenny Pickett, you get Mitch Trubisky. Uh, both guys, it seems like right now, have limitations. I think there's uh, good skill position players on this team. Najee Harris, George Pickens, uh, there's receivers, Deontay Johnson, uh, and whatnot, but they just haven't found the consistency at quarterback required to maximize, uh, I guess, the skill set on the perimeter. So I, I think it's, it's going to be an ugly game. I think there's a, a, real, a real chance. Um, it's low scoring and uh, close, and I, I guess you can look at that one of two ways, right? Like the Raiders have a lot of experience playing in close games, and they probably shouldn't have quite that much experience because they pretty close some of these teams out earlier in the year. So uh, it, I think there's a lot for both teams to play for. I think it could get ugly and, and um, you know, physical kind of football, and that's what this rivalry, again, like going back 50 years, is rooted in in games and in conditions uh, like this. So even though Pittsburgh is their home stadium, like nobody likes to play uh, in, in sub-zero temperatures, so uh, it'll, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see what these what these game plans look like and how I guess the, the, the situation and the weather dictates what we might see. Sam, great stuff, man. Thanks for coming on today. We really appreciate your time. Love your work. Go up online at by Sam Gordon for the Las Vegas Review Journal and all your great work up there. And next time we have you on, we got to talk to you about uh, how UNLV football is starting to change its perception after all the recent hires. Well, we got to run. We appreciate it, Sam. Thanks again for your time. All right, thanks, guys. Anytime. Talk soon. Take care. All right, that's Sam Gordon with us at by Sam Gordon on Twitter. Yeah, this is this has got the making of being a close game, and we've talked about over the. They the all past, have been right, but <laughs> this is a Raider team that's still not able to really, you know, overcome mistakes and overcome penalties. But a two-game trend of Carr receiving a lot of pressure, Jacobs getting swarmed at yeah. the line, and a lot of penalties just all happening again. Uh, this is a two-game trend that must end right now. Yeah, um, some of that is, uh, you know, where they are on their on their offensive line. Yeah, you you. you, you you have to be realistic about it. Um, they're they're banged up and they're digging pretty deep into their depth chart uh, at the both guard positions, and that's where some of that uh, pressure has been coming uh, from the interior. Um, you know, and the the penalties. You know, uh, you got to cut that down. You know, I'm, I'm not expecting Jordan Meredith if he has to go play uh, to be Alan Fanica out there on <laughs> on, on Saturday night, uh, nor you know um, uh, Haronis Grassu for that matter. Uh, but they just have to be capable, and they have to do their jobs at the highest level they possibly can. And it would help uh, if they can play clean, you know, both of them and the rest of the offensive line. Uh, it's one thing, you know, the physical uh, aspect of it, you know, th- that's just that is what it is. Uh, you can't expect 
players to be better than who they really are. The mental part of it, uh, especially staying away from silly mistakes and silly uh, ter- uh, uh, penalties, that's something that they can control. And if they can control that better than uh, what happened on Sunday against uh, uh, you know the the Patriots, um, then they'll be, they'll be in a better position. But you're you, you're right; it's trending as a close game. They've all been close every single game, aside from uh, the Saints game when the Raiders just frankly laid an egg, has been a close game. How are they going to handle this one, Uh, which it probably will be? It'll probably come down in the fourth quarter. It'll probably come down to uh, the last possession. Are the Raiders going to be able to handle that moment uh, and and move on still with some playoff life? You you were there in Pittsburgh for game two last year. Mm -hmm. That was a physical game. Uh, You saw in which, you know, a lot of the same characters on defense for the Steelers from T.J. Watt, Devin Bush, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, Cam Hayward. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a dangerous defense that is continuing to play hard. And when you see both teams sitting at 6-6, six and six, um, this is one in which they can go and you know take a look at an offensive line that's still trying to find you know, a little bit of footing. And I wonder if those new pieces uh, kind of expose what the Raiders want to do. But you know maybe given a, a little more time and knowing that they won't have to be too surprised by interchanging some guys, perhaps that'll be the kind of balance they need right now. Could be. Um, you know, it's just really going to come down to efficiency. Um, hopefully, Darren Waller and, uh, and and Hunter Renfro are going to be uh, more involved uh, in the offense as they get their sea leagues or the sea legs uh, under them and, and start getting more acclimated. Uh, that'll help uh, for sure. Uh, would like to see, uh, in spite of the fact that, look, you know, um, again, mentioning the, the, the two guards that, you know, uh, haven't really been involved in this at all throughout the entire season. All of a sudden, you know, they're playing important minutes if they have to play this week. Uh, you would like to see a little bit more of a of an up-tempo type situation, um, but you have to account for where are they with the playbook and the calls, at the calls at the line of scrimmage. That's all factors that the coach uh, has to take into account. And then plus the weather. How's the weather going to impact this game? Um, is it going to be windy? We all know that it's going to be cold. Um, what are the what's the the turf going to look like? What's going to what it's going to feel like? Uh, how's that going to play? Uh, so these are all um, you know. And how do you replicate that? You're in Las Vegas. It is chilly. I'm not going to lie. It's definitely chilly here in in Las Vegas today, and it has been uh, these these past couple of weeks. But it's not that kind of cold. You know, it's not that kind of uh, conditions that they're going to face. And you just um, you know, going to have to brace for it and buckle up uh, and, and deal with it. The, the Steelers have a little bit of an edge. Um, I was uh, doing a story about the Steelers uh, about this very fact. They scout players and take into account where did they grow up, you know, where did they play college football. Um, are they used to playing in these types of conditions? They practice in bad conditions. They they inse- you know a lot of teams mm-hmm. go into the uh, uh, into the indoor facility when it gets to this time of year uh, for obvious reasons. The practice kind of or the, the Steelers sort of embrace. This sort of weather, uh, they wear it and they're they're proud of it and they deal with it and they practice in it so that it's not a big shock to their system when they got to go play in it on Saturday. So they have a bit of an advantage right now because they're used to these elements. You know, they've been living it um, and dealing with it and practicing in it for a little while now. Uh, But again, you know, all that goes out the window. It's who's going to efficiently execute their game plans and the big moments that are going to occur in this game uh, enough times in order to survive and move on.
This is about Raiders doing their job continuously. But how do you feel like they have been defensively against the run? We saw how Stevenson ran last week, and we know that this could be a very big running attack coming up with against the Steelers, not only with Najee Harris, but if they continue, uh, like they said, they're going to go with Kenny Pickett again, and you can see a lot of running happening. Yeah, uh, sure would help uh, the Raiders if they get Andrew Billings back. Yeah. Um, that's their, you know, um, he, he's a guy that is is really good against the run, has had a very solid season uh, in that regard, I uh, thought Jerry Tillery, um, you know, got exposed a little bit uh, in the run game. I think the, uh, the the Patriots understood that weakness about him um, or that little bit deficiency about him. And so they ran right at him. Um, it didn't look good <laughs> a whole lot of times. But, you know, again, players have limitations. You know, not everybody is the three down type player that could do everything. Everything you love to have as many of those guys as possible, but sometimes, especially when an injury happens, you can't go to your normal rotation where Andrew Billings is playing uh, on the perceived rundowns, and then you bring in Jerry Tillery uh, to uh, accentuate the pass rush, which he absolutely has been doing. Um, so, getting Andrew Billings back, and we'll see if if uh, if he's on target to do so, that would help in that regard because, by and large, when the Raiders have had their players out there, they've been a pretty good run defense this year. You know, Max Jones has improved over the last two years and really has turned it on in that regard uh, this year. Uh, Bilal Nichols has played well against the run. We talked about Andrew Billings. He's played well against the run. Obviously, uh, you got a hunter back there in um, uh, Denzel Perryman. Um, he's he's very good against the run. Nate Hobbs plays well against the run. Um, so there's the components are there. Uh, they just need to hopefully have all their players healthy because that would help in a game like this where you expect – the Steelers, with whoever's going to be the quarterback, uh, to lean heavily uh, on that run game as they normally do. You, we see how the Raiders have improved on uh, against the run. They're now 15th in the league against yardage, rushing yardage. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder, like, will they will employ, you know, maybe not just schematically, but even matchup-wise, would they need to have more uh, healthy linebackers available for a game that could be very smash mouth uh, because uh, you don't want to get caught up with playing, you know, uh, you know, too much zone with, uh, with six DBs. If you if you're actually getting starting to get beat at the line, if you don't have Billings back, would they need to employ another run, or deploy another uh, linebacker? Yeah, uh, maybe. Uh, but uh, but you know that's a good thing about guys like uh, Isaiah Palomao. He's good against the run. Um, he's a pretty big kid, he so is. you know he could come yeah. play closer to the line of scrimmage. Roger Teamer. Uh, does that as yep. well. So you don't necessarily have to uh, do it in terms of an actual linebacker. Uh, one of your safeties, or and, and both of those safeties, uh, have been you know coming along in that regard. So I would expect to see that box safety be a prominent uh, player you know in this game. Really like where Luke Masterson uh, has been. He might get more downs. Now if you watch um, the way things play out, he'll come off the field on third downs. Uh, you know because they're they're bringing in more defensive backs. Uh, in that regard, uh, on third and longs to defend against the pass. Uh, but maybe with the way the Steelers' offense is structured and how they're going to go about it, maybe he gets a little bit more time on third downs because maybe the Steelers are going to you know, uh, lean more uh, toward running the ball. But uh, they'll figure it out. I don't know, necessarily think it's going to be a linebacker, but they'll pl- have somebody playing that role. Okay. it's uh, We'll continue on this looking at the Steelers and Raiders matchups here on Raider Nation Radio. Vinny Bonsignor, Clay Baker, and you at 702-365-9200. And we'll also touch on and get your thoughts. Again, they keep pouring in on the text line, dollar loan centers, don't be broke.com, text line 69187, about the memory of Franco Harris, who passed away this morning at the age of 72. And for those who are old enough, what memory stands out from that game 50 years ago in 1972 with the immaculate reception deception? If you were telling the story, how would it go? 
Got a great story from Raiders.com and more. It's Raider Nation Radio. Good going, buddy. What, what happened on that play, Franco? Uh, right place at the right time. <laughs> a little bit of luck. You know, a little bit of luck catching the ball. Well, what's the, uh, what was your uh, part in that play? Where were you actually supposed to have been? Well, I was supposed to be in there blocking. <laughs> I remember the play right, but Terry started to scramble a little bit, so I went out thinking maybe I could get an open. He could throw it to me, and he threw it downfield, and uh, I saw Frenchie, I think it was Jack Tatum, yeah. go up for it, and it bounced bounced up and as I said before the right place the right time you, you, uh, you outrun that guy into the end zone did it ever look like you feel he had a shot at you uh I thought at one point he did but I kind of stuck my arm out trying to hold him off you know uh believe me at, at that point you know I don't think anything could have stopped me from going in the <laughs> Franco Harris being remembered here on the morning tailgate Raider Nation radio thanks to WTAE in Pittsburgh with that uh, clip from 50 years ago as he was met after the locker room following the immaculate reception deception here on Raider Nation Radio. And that's something that, uh, you know, it, it, it fills up with everybody, it has like some sort of a subjective memory from that moment. And we see it up on uh, on Twitter at RNR920 AM. Says, as a kid, he was part of one of my worst Raider memories. When I met him at a few years ago, he was such a kind and gentle man and a real person. And my view of him changed. This world needs more Franco Harris's rest in peace. Yeah. Thanks again for that. That's, uh, you know, I think uh, after the years go by, it makes you feel like, all right, you know, it, it's still personal for a lot of people that were watching it and were there and for families that had, had, had shared it. But at the same time, I think there was going to be this acknowledgement of like, hey, at least Franco gets, you know, his moment. 50 years later on the field with everybody around him, his friends, his family, players, uh, staff, everybody that was going to be there. And it's just it's it's mind blowing to think that when you woke up this morning that he's not going to be there now. And in, instead of this, you know, honor uh, and, and he were going to put his, uh, you know, remove his name uh, and remove his number. You know, his number will always be uh, honored at number 32. But now it's going to be a celebration of life. Yeah, uh, the number 32 gets retired uh, on Saturday. And by the way, uh, listening to Franco Harris uh, answering, he's 22 years old right there. Wow, really? Yeah, 22-year-old Franco Harris uh, (laughs) talking about the Immaculate Reception. Um, You know, and and it's definitely going to be a – there will be – it's going to be obviously sad, uh, somber. uh, But at the same time, um, it is a a time now to celebrate – what was a great life, uh, a great Pittsburgh Steeler, a great NFL legend, a Hall of Famer, uh, a Penn State, proud Penn State uh, alum. Um, you know, there's so many, uh, you know, uh, different vantage points of, of Franco Harris and how people um, saw him, whether he was somebody on a team that uh, that they rooted for or a foe, as it was as was the case with Raider fr- fans. But I think as years went on, um, he just became truly a beloved figure. Um, I don't there's nobody that doesn't like, you know, Franco Harris. He was a gentleman. He was a great player, uh, a great ambassador uh, to the game. Just saw a good friend, uh, Eric Dickerson, uh, tweeting out a photo of he and Franco uh, at the Pro Football Hall of Fame a, a few years ago, wearing their beautiful uh, uh, Hall of Fame jackets. Um, those are two of the greats right there. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, yeah, so there's it's 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 a sad day without question, uh, but uh, definitely time to celebrate uh, what was a great life. When uh, you were growing up and you were watching, uh, you know, football with your family, and you said, you know, your mom loved Franco Harris. Oh yeah, La- La had a big picture of uh, him in the hair and all that stuff, right? Good looking man. He was <laughs> uh, good looking guy. So uh, yes, 
Uh, I don't know many, uh, uh, you know, women. Uh, my, I know my my uh, wife's mother, uh, my mother-in-law, basically. Uh, she always uh, thought that that he was a, a pretty cool-looking, good-looking dude, too, and he was. Uh, no question about it. So he had that going for him, uh, you know, uh, on top of just uh, immense talent. And, and you know, uh, he was a gentleman, too. You could tell that he was a gentleman, uh, the way uh, he conducted himself and carried himself. Um, and even in, in response to that, how humble he was uh, in that moment, kind of describing what he was supposed to do. And it was a, really a smart play on his part. He's supposed to be uh, a blocking back uh, at that point. But because Terry Bradshaw started to take off a little bit and scramble, he's like, okay, uh, I'm going to go out uh, in the pattern, uh, you know, make myself available just in case. Um, you know, he has to find somebody to throw the ball to. And, you know, I'm a ball carrier. I'll, I'll take it from there. Uh, but then to be Johnny on the spot when this ball just ricochets off of whoever you want to believe it ricocheted off of uh, to pluck it off the ground or right before it got to the ground. Again, uh, it, it comes down to whose uh, vantage point you're talking about uh, in that case, but then to run uh, the rest of the way for the touchdown and then a touchdown that's going to live uh, forever. Here's my question, and I've always wondered this. If there really was uh, instant replay um, alive and well at that particular time, what do you think would have happened? I think it would have been overturned. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I, you know, yeah. it's because I've seen so many, um, you know, calls that look like, you know, I don't know if it was enough at that point. You know, I, I think we saw what you say the NFL Films version of it. Yeah, Raiders the NFL doc, Films. Yeah. The that's NFL. not going to be available to the referees even today. No, no, but uh, yeah, how many angles would they have? Would they have the 12 angles that they do now? Yeah, because um, at uh, Raiders.com on that uh, the documentary called All Hell Broke Loose, they did find the footage that was absolutely definitive. But I have never seen that. And right. They, and when they showed it to George Atkinson and Ray Chester and Mike Madden, they were their mouths were agape. They're like, no. So essentially, it goes. It, it doesn't <laughs> touch Jack. It doesn't touch Jack. It was uh, Frenchie Fuqua's hand on Jack's shoulder that okay. pushed it over. All right, got and it. not Jack's shoulder itself. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, what, you know, it's it's so far away from uh, from reality, but it still burns in, inside of a lot of people. No, no doubt about it. You know, uh, I have, uh, you know, for for as a kid growing up as a Vikings fan, uh, my worst memory was um, Drew Pearson pushing off on the defensive back on the touchdown to win to win a playoff game. Uh, the Vikings were I think 12 and 2 that year. They had the Cowboys wow. uh, coming to the Met and it's clearly clearly a pass interference. I was a kid I cried after that game uh, watching it uh, in Ventura, California on Clinton Avenue and um so uh yeah, for a I could I I totally get it because I I I was there with my team a, as a kid. Um, and you do wonder if there was replay, would it have, you know, overturned either that one or the Vikings one and, um, you know, and how much fortunes would have changed, you know, had, had that been the case, you know, all of a sudden now the Raiders are going to host the, uh, I guess the rotation would have gone to them. They would have hosted the game against the Miami Dolphins. Against the fish. Yep. The uh, Miami Dolphins may not end the season undefeated, uh, as they did. They go to the Super Bowl, right? No, was that their, that wasn't their undefeated season. Uh, that wasn't their undefeated no. season. That was the Obviously, one where, yeah. uh, yeah, the, the Seas went on to beat the but Vikings for whatever 16 reason, to 6 or whatever. Unless they were undefeated going, somebody said that they were undefeated going into that game. Well, we'll double check that one. Yeah. yeah. But that's a uh, that's that moment of time where all right, what would have happened? And we even see like even in the modern day, people uh, still you know obsessing about the Keelan Cole touchdown right. from Sunday with all the angles and technology. That's what I'm saying. Did we get it right? That's what I'm saying. Like you, you still don't know. Like we've seen where overturned situations uh, don't get overturned. 
for whatever reason. Maybe it's an angle we we're not privy to, or maybe they didn't see the angle that we saw. You know, um, and, and so and, and then there's also people see things uh, differently. Um, I think that Kyle, when we were talking about the replay, I remember when they when they went to uh, you know uh, they expanded the replay rule uh, in the NFL. Um, Kyle Shanahan br- always brought up the great point. He goes, it's not necessarily for those obvious calls, you know, or, or you know, uh, you don't want to have to look at everything. He goes, it's those calls where if you go into a sports bar and there's a group of soccer fans sitting over at one table and there's an NFL game on and even those soccer fans see, oh, that was wrong. <laughs> they need to overturn that. It's for those calls, the real obvious calls, whether it's a touchdown, even – I to this day I'm starting to think that maybe you should be able to look at some some of the penalties. You know, some of the sometimes there's there's penalties that happen that either get called or don't get called that maybe we should we should take a look at those things uh too. Uh we have the technology, why not, you know, uh utilize it uh, uh, accordingly. They didn't have the technology back then even though I guess they did have uh replay technology, but they didn't have the uh necessarily the foresight to uh to look at that. When we're thinking about plays like that, how about the the Houston Oilers got a touchdown taken away against the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you remember that one, um, uh, Renfro in the in the uh, in the end zone was clearly a touchdown, and they ruled it out. Uh, and replay would have totally overturned that. And I still talked to Wade Phillips about that call. He was a defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, his dad, Bump Phillips, was the head coach, and he's like, "That was a touchdown. What are we <laughs> doing here? You know, Dad." He's up in the. That was a touchdown. They took it from us, you know. So, uh, so every I think there's probably a, every fan base has that particular call, but you have to be a fan of one of the iconic franchises for it to happen in the biggest moments, like in the playoffs. You know, uh, things happen during the regular season. We all understand that, but this isn't a playoff game. The the, the push off by Drew Pearson, and it was a push off happened happened in a playoff game. The Houston Oilers. Probably should have beat the, uh, the the Pittsburgh Steelers that year, but a touchdown, a clear touchdown, got taken away from them. Uh, but you know, it's it's great to go down memory lane. Unfortunately, we're doing we would have been doing this anyway because the game on Saturday between the Steelers and the Raiders is literally the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. Uh, so the two teams that were involved uh, were playing it. The NFL obviously is making it was was planning to make it a big focal point of the telecast, and I'm sure the pregame show. Um, and then on top of that, Franco Harris, what a great moment for him to get his number retired. It's a very prestigious honor in Pittsburgh. They rarely do it. The Raiders don't do it. Uh, so that's how prestigious that could be sometimes. And then for us to all wake up today uh, to find out the sad news that Franco Harris has passed. It's absolutely stunning news as we woke up this morning with that. And uh, we're just trying to give it some reverence and how Raider Nation and the Steelers and Franco Harris will always be connected by oh, yeah. that one play. Let's get some phone calls out to 702-365-9200. Modesto, California. It's Raider Tone. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Vinny. Um, first of all, um, wish you guys all the good Good health and prosperity in 2023, man. These years just go by quicker when we get older, man. And um, so I'm 57. I remember, I remember the play. I remember more of the snake run, and we were going crazy. I was a kid living in Oakland, um, about 20 blocks from the Coliseum. And I think about, we think about the history of the Raiders and the Steelers. I think more, you know, I'm a, I'm the way before the Raider Nation. It was silver and black attack, pride and poise, commitment to excellence. All those sayings, and, you, and as a Raider fan back then, you 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 wore it with pride. And um, thinking about the timing of Franco dying and and how old we're getting now in age, it just actually it, I I might be shedding a tear Saturday night. I mean, I'm glad the game's meaningful. Um, 
if the, you know they're, they're playing for an elimination game pretty much, and either one of these teams lose. Right. But uh, I appreciate you guys putting it out there. But I, I look at all the Steeler fans, and the Steeler fans travel very well, very, very well. Um, I just, I just, I'm just shocked by the news of Franco and me being a kid back in the day. Um, it just touches you in a different way that I, it's hard to explain to the younger generation. And I give younger generation, you guys, props for being Raider fans because you didn't see the glory days. But if you watch those matchups back in those days, um, you talk about the brutality of a sport. And actually, I'm friends with George Bueller. He was in that Hells on Wheel documentary. Um, you just, you talk, some of them can't even remember those times still. So I just wanted to tell you guys, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and just share a little bit of a moment. I, I remember the snake more, the run, when snake did it, and, our family being so upset after you know after the immaculate deception, but I wish you guys all the best. Thank you for letting me get on the air. Oh, thank you, Radio Likewise, Tone. well said. Yes, great call out of Modesto, and you're right. Uh, yeah, uh, Pittsburgh wins 13-7 at Three Rivers. A week later, on New Year's Eve, Miami defeats Pittsburgh 21-17 to go on to Super Bowl Seven. Miami 14 over Washington to go undefeated 14-0. Oh, wow. Okay, there you go. Yeah. I had it. Uh, the years run together. Isn't that crazy? I know, <laughs> like, they do. Uh, I thought that that was the year that the Steelers beat the Vikings, but that was probably the following year. It was the following year. Um no, the, oh. I think the I think the Dolphins went back to back, didn't they? they? Or was it or was it was it in reverse? Because I think they beat. I know they beat the Vikings at one point. It might have been the very next year. Um, where where the uh, we'll check that. Dallas beat Miami the year before, twenty four to three in Super Bowl. Six. Yep. So the Dolphins kind of had the monkey on their back. They yeah. needed to get that off, and they finally did so in dramatic fashion uh, by by going undefeated throughout the uh, throughout the season. Um, and then I want to say they beat the Vikings the next year, and so then maybe the Steelers won. The following year uh, against the Vikings, because again, everybody needs to remember that the Steelers were a morbid franchise. Man, they were terrible uh, for so many years, starting in the fifties, just wretched. Yeah, totally. They had bad uniforms. Um, you know, they just they could never get it together. They they really, when you think about the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, for 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 the uh, from a national perspective, they didn't really start until the seventies when Chuck Noll got there. And then they went on this unbelievable run. And now they've been one of the signature franchises of the NFL now for, you know, 50-some-odd years, right? right? I mean, that's basically it. It didn't start that way. No, it, it, it definitely certainly didn't. It evolved into that, and it's it's amazing to, to think how both uh, franchises were the Raiders and Steelers and their trajectory from right. that point out of the 70s. Yeah, you know, it, it, a similar thing could be said about, like, the Patriots. The Patriots were never really, you know, I had um, – you know, uh, I'm not going to you know uh, say exactly who, but but um, but I was told this this conversation it was between somebody from the NFL that was going to college at the time, and their their roommate was from Boston, and he was like, uh, th- and this this student at the time, um, his family was in the NFL. You know, they owned a team basically. So um, they, they, you know, they had this conversation between him and his friend and his roommate from Boston, and it was like, where do the Patriots rank in the whole? You know, scheme of things in Boston, and uh, this was like in the 1980s, I'd say, mm-hmm. uh, maybe early 90s. And he's like, "Well, you know, you got the Red Sox, you got the Boston Bruins, you got the Celtics, and yeah, the Patriots are, you know, where they are." <laughs> and now, if you were to ask that question, the Patriots, you know, a, a lot of kids have, that have grown up just remember the Patriots winning over these last 20 some odd years. Well, there was a time when they were just a. Eh, 
franchise. They were an afterthought. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were like even even the bean pot for hockey for the college hockey right. was taking uh, precedence over most games that uh, at Old Fox. You didn't know where they played. It was were they in Boston or were right. they in? They call it New England. What does that even? They're no mean? longer the Boston Patriots. No. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So uh, Jim Plunkett. Uh, almost, you know, ended his NFL career there because it was so bad and he got beat up so, uh, so much, you know, and then he had to revive his career with the Raiders. So yeah, the, when you, when you think about the Steelers, we think about them now as so great over this last half century, but prior to that, uh, they were, they were terrible. Uh, and, and it's funny, not funny, but interesting hearing a fellow, a Raider, a Raider fan talking about. Uh, his colleagues with the Steelers, there's certain, you know, when you're one of that group, and the Raiders certainly are, uh, they're one of the iconic franchises in NFL history, um, there's there's certain fan bases that they can look at and say, yeah, we can kind of look eye to eye, you know. Mm-hmm. Steeler fans, Raider fans, there's a respect there, even though there's you want to beat them and all that, and that's what sports is all about. But there's, you know what, at least you guys, we can look eye to eye because, you know, we're, 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 we're uh, on the same kind of wavelength there. That isn't always the case with certain franchises to other no. franchises, right? So yeah, yeah. let's be honest. But the Steelers and Raiders, uh, those are two that can certainly um, – Definitely look each other in the eye. The shared history continues. Seven zero two three six five ninety two hundred to the Carolinas with Snake Man. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, guys. It's a long time not calling in. I'm sorry. I'd like to call in more often, but it's difficult up here. I don't have such immaculate reception up here. <laughs> no worries, uh, man. Hey, you know, I'm really sad to hear about Frank O'Hara's class act. Great player and even a better person, like you said, Vinny. He was just one of those guys that you, there's nothing not to like about the guy. You know, you always respected him. And he was a hell of a player. He was a much bigger running back than people realize, too. If you look at those, um, you know, those, those highlights, you see how big he was. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he hit 230, but he was darn close to it. Um, you know, and that, that play specifically, you know, it's funny. Uh, they, I had an old guy I worked with years ago who told me, your memory, your long-term memory is going to improve the older you get, and it's going to decrease your short-term. And he's right, because I can't remember more than 24 hours ago, but I remember those plays like they were yesterday. And I also remember that Drew Pearson play against the Vikings. Uh, so I remember all of that stuff. But that play, uh, that forged like an iconic, maybe the greatest rivalry in sports history that play right there, you know, and then, you know, the Raiders teams of the seventies, uh, we all think that they probably would have won a couple of the Super Bowls had it mm-hmm. not been for the Steelers. So the Raiders could at least tip their cap, you know, that they were beaten or beaten by the best at that time. Um, you know, that, so, so for that, you know, I really appreciate those rivalries, but I got two more things I want to point out. Yeah. Uh, my Mac, Max Crosby, uh, in that game last week, I don't, I don't. I didn't listen all week. I couldn't hear you guys all week, Vinny uh, and Clay. But did anybody uh, actually acknowledge what Max Crosby did on that bootleg? Because everybody said, "Well, oh, that was a horrible play call by Matt Patricia." I actually disagree. I think it was a hell of a play call, but an unbelievable play by a great player prevented that thing from being a first down because that would have been lights out for the Raiders. So everybody went back to the, oh, yeah. you know, the play. Yep. But that play by Max Crosby, for him to get out there to sniff it out, but also for him to slam on the brakes because most guys would just run right by the quarterback. But that was a hell of a play. So I just want to give Max his props for that. And then I've got my name for the game. I'm just going to go with this. Uh, maybe you guys already named it. I've been listening all week. My name for the game, the Prayer of Allegiance. Oh, I, I love like it. it. The Prayer of Allegiance. Snake Man, thank you so much for that call. Hey, real quick, Raider Mike uh, from uh, Naples, uh, Florida. Go ahead. We got 30 seconds. 
All right. I, I, I wanted to say more. Okay, Clay. 1972, seven years old, Christmas Eve. I watched this. Breaks my heart. My stepfather's crying. I'm crying. My Christmas present the next day is, you remember those black Raider jackets with silver sleeves? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was rough wearing that to school, man. <laughs> A lot of Steeler fans in my school. Anyway, I'll elaborate way more tomorrow because there's Thank you. a lot of stories beyond, on, on the background of this game. Well, Mike, you've said it before. You yeah, you said it before. Like, you've counted time over the years from the Heidi game to this game to it all, right? Tuck rule. And then finally the revenge of Keelan Cole to avenge that. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to elaborate tomorrow, guys. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Raider right. Mike out of Florida. From California to the Carolinas to Florida, we appreciate all the calls and texts. Back after this, it's Vinny and Clay on the morning tailgate. Ever hear so many horrid honkers? Oh, be quiet back there. Don't let traffic get you down because we're back to the morning tailgate. Joining us here on Raider Nation Radio, we appreciate your, your time and letting us be a part of your morning escape. It's Vinny Bonsignor, Clay Baker here with you, the morning tailgate Raider Nation Radio. All right, so today at Raiders headquarters, uh, we'll get a chance to hear from Josh McDaniels as well as Derek Carr and Devontae Adams. What is something that you want to hear most and something that you want to find out uh, from today's uh, uh, press conference? Uh, definitely where uh, Alex Bars might be uh, okay. health-wise, where Dylan Parham uh, might be uh, health-wise. I uh, talked to Josh McDaniels about that on Monday. Uh, both guys are, uh, as he described them, tough guys who are going to do everything that they can to be on the football field uh, on Saturday. But it is a short week, um, you know, and, and so they're dealing with injuries, and they may have to uh, go to plan B again, uh, Jordan Meredith and uh, Hieronymus uh, Grassu. So, you know, we'll see. That's That's number one. Uh, definitely want to figure out, like, how did Hunter and Darren respond uh, to the game on Sunday? Sure. Uh, it's always how do they feel the day after that and leading into uh, the remainder of the of the work week before the next game. So did they respond uh, well uh, and, and accordingly? Uh, I think that's uh, big for, uh, you know, this team. And then Andrew Billings. I think Andrew Billings, I think the Raiders need their big defensive tackle out there. Uh, helping against that, uh, that 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 run game of the Steelers and kind of completing that uh, for now anyway, uh, the Raiders' defensive line, and also maybe finding out more information about Zamir White. Uh, you know, on the injury report, mm -hmm. it said if they were to practice, he probably wouldn't have participated in it. Uh, could that mean something for Britton Brown? He got me very excited just even thinking what that potential might be. Yeah, um, he, to me, he would be the next man up. Britton Brown, the uh, the rookie from UCLA by way of Duke uh, University. Uh, but then, of course, you you also understand that Josh Jacobs, you know, he's like, I got this, guys. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry. Not about on it. the injury report, <laughs> right? Uh, so, uh, so probably a bigger workload again uh, for Josh Jacobs. But hey, if Britton Brown's number gets called, I have uh, total, um, you know, uh, belief that he's going to be able to get the job done. Follow us on Twitter at rnr nine twenty a.m. and our podcast up online at iTunes, Amazon, Audible, and at lvsportsnetwork.com. Now is your chance to win those two tickets. The huge show on New Year's Eve at Resorts World here in Las Vegas. Kevin Hart, Reality Check Tour, two nights, December 31st and January 1st. We have your New Year's Eve tickets. Resorts Worlds are available at tickets at access.com. But you can also be caller number nine now at 702-365-9200. 702-365-9200. Be caller number nine. And you're going to be with Kevin Hart for New Year's Eve. For Vinny and Heidi, I'm Clay Baker. Have a great day, everybody.